Today on Sagittarian Matters, coming out as gay, goats eating tin cans, hawking loogies, napping strategies, and more with my very special guest, Marissa Paternoster. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Marissa Paternoster is the lead singer and guitarist of the band Screaming Females. She was on tour with her band and had tentatively agreed to do an in-person interview with producer Ponyo in Los Angeles when her tour was cut short due to a plague. Marissa and her bandmates were able to get on a plane and return to the East Coast from whence they came. I spoke to Marissa from a quarantine at her grandmother's house, where she was turning on the heat for herself as just a little treat and working on illustrations for a new graphic novel by Joe Steinhardt of Don Giovanni Records. What I have for you today is an edited version of our very long conversation. We will post more clips of Marissa talking about comics, shows, art pens, and more another time. A quick note is that we mention our mutual friend Don Riddle a lot in this interview. Dawn is my former bandmate, Marissa's current merch person, and a very, very talented multidisciplinary artist who paints, writes plays, makes videos, does music, drawings, and more. You can find Dawn on Instagram, at Dawn Riddle. You can find Marissa, at Marissa Paternoster, or Screaming Females. But just for today, please enjoy my long-distance talk with new friend to the show, Marissa Paternoster. Um, very consistently since I was like 19 years old and I'm 33 now so I feel the most comfortable and the safest when I'm with my bandmates on tour Um, I have like an incredibly difficult time adhering to any semblance of a routine when I'm at home and especially after just getting back I'm always like I'll be in the van like on the last day being like this time when I get home it's going to be different I'm going to like exercise and, you know, like hang out with people. And then I always just wind up doing the same thing, which is like laying in bed and crying <laughs> and like, like eating cheese with my hands out of the fridge at 4 a.m. <laughs> and just like, just being like a total like Howard Hughes wing nut. Like I grow a long spindly beard and I get like long fingernails and I just like <laughs> pee in jars and I just like, become a recluse and that happens every single time so so at least this time I have like it's like socially sanctioned behavior for me to be completely alone in an empty house for days on end with no human contact turning on the heat as a treat which feels very cast away as a little treat <laughs> and not a lot just a little do you have like anything like a Wilson? Like, do you have a volleyball with a bloody handprint on it that you talk to? That's a really good idea. <laughs> I also have like 15 years of TV to catch up on. And I don't really watch TV. So all of my friends now are on the, the Netflix. And I'm very invested in what they're doing. Are they telling you to watch Tiger Man? I Ti- watched it already. Okay. <laughs> but I already knew that story 
for my own podcast, but it, it, which was good. I didn't, I didn't know that the documentary would actually be footage of them. I thought it would be a dramatic reenactment. Um, Do you have anything to say about Joe Exotic's Millie Vanilli kind of music career? I love his music <laughs> and I love the videos. Like the videos are incredible. The music is fantastic. <laughs> His ego is just like completely out of control. I would love to just like be able to just crawl all up around the inside of his brain because he just seems like the most unhinged, like narcissistic sociopath that's ever like walked the earth. Um, I would probably, he's a horrible person who tortures animals and you know, that is obviously deplorable and unacceptable. But wow, what a character. <laughs> Do you feel like if you Such had... good fashion. Oh my God, incredible fashion, bold hair choices. I know. And falling in love with straight people, relatable. Do you feel like if you had a bag of meth, you could have three straight wives right now? A bag of meth and a tiger? Which Do I, I have to do the meth? I would never have a tiger. Well, I feel I like... I want to pet them. I would like to see them, but I'd like to see them in a... We're never going to be able to... Me and a tiger are never going to be able to hang out in an ethical way. No, I, I thought about that long and hard and there's no way. Unless you worked at a, at a refuge, I guess, like a real legit one. The husband thing, it was, the husband thing, you know, it gives us, it gives me a lot to think about. You know, I've never tried to lure people to my house with drugs. Mm-hmm. Me either. But, you know, I mean. Although, you know, right now, we're th- the way things are. I might. I just need to get drugs. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't want to go down too far of a Breaking Bad path on the podcast, but certainly you could, you have plenty of time to try and like chemistry set that out. Oh, I've been watching that too. Oh, for the first time? Yes, because I haven't watched TV in like 15 years. <laughs> I watched Breaking Bad alone on a nine month residency in a tiny town in the middle of Vermont after my dog died and I broke up with somebody. I was like, I'm already down here. I'm just going to, like, keep it going. It's so stressful. I would watch it right before bed and then have stressful dreams about Gus. I don't know if you're uh, there yet. Yeah. The chicken no, guy. I, I am almost done. Oh, I got okay. a couple more. Yeah. Um, I liked Gus. Oh, I like Gus a lot. I, I was, he, his suits got nicer and nicer as the show went on. Somebody I know on Twitter posted so many pictures of the different weird little crudite trays that Gus put out at every meeting. Like there was always like baby carrots and like little tiny grape tomatoes. It was just the green room tray. Yeah. It was like Safeway's yeah. best. I hate those because they like, I just, there a, a bunch of those have been changing so that the ranch dressing is morphing into hummus, oh. which makes it an actually delightful treat. I hope that that is a trend that continues because ranch dressing is an abomination. And I'm so sorry to everyone who enjoys ranch, but Jesus Christ, that stuff's weird. Can I ask you, what is, is there something that you think of on tour as a punishment food? Maybe even something that started off good that you learned to hate? Subway. Oh, really? Subway is like probably the most omnipresent fast food chain far like far beyond any other one you could probably name across the country because they they have covered the earth like sherwin williams there's just like every gas station has a subway you will never you can't like 
spit in the wind without hitting a damn subway. Um, and sometimes when you're in really legit the middle of nowhere and, and, and you're a vegetarian like the three of us um, in my band, sometimes subway is a final resort. Because uh, for a while, I don't know if they do it anymore. They were providing these like weird vegetarian patties. I don't know what the hell was in them. It was probably one of those. all meat. They're not bad, or they weren't bad. It I was, don't know. It was doable. It was a good. It was a food pill option. Yeah. So, um, so once in a blue moon, like on five week tour, like maybe I'd have Subway like twice. But then we got in. Um, our van broke down in the southwest and we had to long story short we had to try and tow our own van home whoa you know across basically essentially at that point across the country but we couldn't really get get the vehicle off the highway because the vehicle we were driving was like the the length of a school bus and it was just like a total nightmare scenario so we were eating out of the gas stations and subway was the only option for the most part and now the smell of it elicits like like an existential despair in my heart and soul that I just like can't shake. And I don't think even just smelling it, seeing the logo, everything about it makes me feel so bad. It's such a distinct Um, smell too. Yeah. And they're all the same. And I just, I think Pete Holmes, the comedian had a bit about how biting into a subway sandwich is like biting into an eraser. (laughs) <laughs> which is like the most succinct description of what it's like biting into a subway sandwich it's like this flavorless like oval you know i'm a certified sandwich artist from subway yeah i worked there oh. for two and a half years in high school i worked at one subway and the day they closed i left the meeting that was telling me we were closing and i drove directly to a different subway and was like I got the credentials. Put me on. I am an artist. <laughs> so you're an artist and you work in many mediums then. Well, this is the only formal art training I have is my certified sandwich artist certificate. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I have nothing but love and respect for the sandwich artists that have helped me. It's not their fault. Oh, no, no, I don't. That I've developed this this issue, but. I don't think any of them would disagree with you in any way. What goes on back there? Well, I want to tell you something. You have to take a test. You have to take a written test. And then there is like a visual test for your manager. And in the written test, you have to know that the most expensive ingredient on any sub is the olives. And I can't remember if that also includes all the meat. black olives? Yeah, the black olives. Like you're only allowed to give two and a half olives per six inch or something. The olives are more expensive than the meat? This is my recollection. It's quite old. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's not like nice Kalamata olives they're talking about. Yeah, it's just like a black olive. Did you ever experience the seafood and crab sub? No, because I've, since I've been in a van, I've always been vegetarian. So I've never had any of their meat products. It was like a fishy erasers mixed in mayonnaise. (laughs) We got in an argument once about with the sandwich artist about what um, guacamole was. I don't remember which like which way the argument went, but we were like trying. To, I think we were using the word guacamole, and he kept going, "No, it's avocado." And we were like, "Yes, 
it's sort of synonymous. And he just was like not having it. He was like, it's avocado. And we were like, all right, it's fine. Just like potato, just potato. Slather that on there, please. <laughs> I didn't even, when I worked there, there was not a grill. There was not avocado. There was just, you know, oil and vinegar. And only senior citizens really got that at the time. Yeah. Oil and vinegar on a sub is the way to do it. I would, I would, I would hit Subway again. For me, the worst punishment food on tour is a Lara bar. Yeah, that's those are the nutritional bars for women, right? Oh, so wait, sorry, that's a Luna bar. Oh uh, yeah, that's well, for her. <laughs> <laughs> Le- lemon pie bar for her. Lara yeah, bars I like every time you eat one of those. <laughs> the uterus just kind of starts glowing, and you're like, "This is for me." Yeah, I drop an egg. <laughs> this is food for me. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> Lara bar is the one that's just like smushed up dates with chunks of almond. And then it's called something like apple pie because it has cinnamon. <laughs> yeah. Any, any of those, um, kind bars or cliff bars give me heartburn now. Cause I'm old. Um, when we first started touring, the only option was like a nature Valley bar. Oh, wow. and there's a lot of good band like touring band related memes about how opening up a nature valley bar is just basically like crumbs just fucking everywhere (laughs) um i also uh, when we first started touring i would eat a lot of pop tarts because i vaguely remember them being vegan is that true i think maybe there was a time when the ones without frosting were vegan and i was vegan at the time so i would shoplift them a lot which is Mm. crazy i was such a rebel and that's such a big thing to shoplift i so you wear a long sleeve shirt, like a baggy one, and then you grab them, and then you just kind of, like you like you hold it like this. Can you, imagine I have a Can you baggy, des- describe what you're doing with your hand? Describe what I'm doing. I'm uh, kind of like palming the Pop-Tart and then like thumb down to secure it, and then just gently move my fingers back and push it into my sleeve. Mm-hmm. But I don't do that anymore. Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Lily Withcomb, Kylie Oram, Whitney Gecker, Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, Shoshana Ruth Wachter, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, leg, like its appendage, at gmail. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo. That's Hell Books on Venmo. H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be upset. That's Ponyo's new speaking voice. I have some questions from a listener who had a lot of very specific questions for you. That's You're scaring me. <laughs> Um, this listener, first of all, wanted to know, dear Marissa, when is it okay to spit on stage? Oh, From- always. Um, I don't know. I always think that like, I should stop doing it cause it's gross. And there was only one instance where, um, Kim Deal asked me to stop doing it, which I think is a very reasonable request cause it is gross. And also she's Kim Deal, so I'll do whatever 
Were you on stage uh, with her or she had to play after you? We were opening for the breeders. And so then she was like, there's lugs all over the stage. Can you chill out? Uh, essentially, yeah. It wasn't like it. She was just like, can you not do that? And I was like, of course, it's gross. Sorry. But also in most of those places, like the stage is already gross. Yeah. Uh, especially in the places where we headline like, you know, very small or medium capacity bars, that stage has already seen things. I have another listener question. Yes. Dear Marissa, if I find myself in Denver, what is the coolest possible thing that can happen to me? (laughs) (laughs) From Ron Diddle. (laughs) The coolest thing that can happen (laughs) Okay, so we like... I'm not going to be able to talk about this. It was so funny. We went to the dispensary. And we were walking back to the venue. And we walked past just a house. With a, the door was wide open. There were, like, people hanging out out front. Someone was, like, blasting Corn's Freak on a Leash. <laughs> and it was, like, it was so loud. You could hear it from, like, halfway down the block. And I was, like, I can't wait to get up to this house and see what the fuck is going on in there <laughs> like who is blasting freak on a leash and we walked past the open door and there was just this dude with crutches wearing sweatpants with giant pot leaves on it and he looked us directly like directly at us and he just said what up my homies in like the most joyous like he was so happy and i just started crying because it was like the most perfect moment and we just walked away and I'll never see him again and I just love him and it was the best thing that I've ever experienced while we were walking away from it I was like fully crying and I was just like Dawn that was that was you know when people talk about like when moments are so perfect you feel like you're like frozen in time that's what that felt like for me I love that man (laughs) Okay, we have another <laughs> listener question. <laughs> I love him. I hope he's okay during all this. It sounds like he's doing a great job of keeping himself happy. I want to be that happy. <laughs> what would happen if you did that in your grandma's house? I need crutches. If you blasted Freak on a Leash and just had the door open and waited for anyone to walk by. What are my homies? (laughs) I'm in in like the most suburban neighborhood a human could possibly be in. So I don't think it would be real. I feel like they would call the cops on me, to be honest. (laughs) Is that the sound that goes, oh, waka kaka? No, you're thinking of Disturbed. I am thinking of Disturbed. Yeah, it's okay. I got you. Dear Marissa. Mm-hmm. No one respects my love for Pantera. How do I make my friends understand? Well, I don't. I don't think that pressing your friends to love Pantera is actually a really good idea because, um, you know, it's really hard to separate artists from the art that they make. I would say, and I'll, I'm sure a great many people who know more about metal would disagree with me that Pantera has made a multitude of records, which I consider perfect. The people in the band Pantera are wildly imperfect. The singer of Pantera is a Nazi. Mm. <laughs> um, 
So I do enjoy listening to Vulgar Display of Power. It is a very kick-ass metal record. Um, the more that I learned about Phil Anselmo, especially within the past couple of years, he's become more outwardly just absolutely in a poor fascist, the less that I find myself able to enjoy their music, which is a shame. So um, I think it's okay to enjoy Pantera all by your lonesome and try not to push it onto other people because they're a very problematic, very, very complicated band. And also your friends may just like not want to hear those like ignorant ass riffs. That's fair. Oh. I'm trying to think of my most problematic fave and I definitely have one. I have to think I mean, of- I had a cause say any, almost any band that is comprised of all men probably will have some issues. <laughs> Producer Ponyo is snoring, just so you know. It's just like, I just, I wish that, remember Animorphs? Yes. I wish that I could Animorph into just like a domestic short hair cat during this time, because they seem to have this whole staying at home thing all figured out. Oh, yeah. Well, so you have a different life that's more internal, less external, which is drawing. And that is kind of... An in-the-house cat-like, or it's just an in-the-house yeah. kind of, it's an in, it's an inside sport. Yeah, but I still have to use my brain. They don't even seem to do that. Oh, yeah. That's I true. I want to turn it off big time. Do you remember the first thing you ever drew? Yes, I have it. You it's, ha- an M&M. it's an M&M. It's an M&M. It's an M&M, and he's at school. <laughs> he's an anthropomorphic M&M, which I think is the way M&Ms are commonly uh represented right Mm -hmm. and he's at school and he's doing some long division oh damn i don't know where it is oh there he is oh it's not the first thing i ever drew but this is my first sketch pad oh my god he looks great thank you you can describe him he's an m&m okay let me got an a plus what i see is there's a red M&M, and he's wearing glasses that have arms that go around the back of his round head. He's holding, yeah. a, he's holding a paper with an A+. He's wearing pants, which is really nice of you. Oh, and, I have shoes. And, oh, he's wearing shoes, too. And he's and in a classroom. his name is Edward III. <laughs> his de- you can tell that's his name because his desk is also drawn in the picture, and it says Edward III. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you when you drew that? I don't know. I guess, when do you learn long division? Like first, fourth grade, fourth grade? No, I never learned long division. So that's when. I think it was probably around that time, probably like fourth grade. And you're working uh, on, you're working on a graphic novel right now. Yeah, this is it. Oh my God. It's one. If this was about Edward <laughs> the third, I would read something about Edward the third. Do you um, have a favorite COVID crisis snack? Is there a food that's a highlight for you? That's a little treat, like turning on the heat. Oh, a little treat? I ate an entire, I ate an entire thing of gelato at like 4 a.m. Like a day, whatever, I don't know. Maybe it was a day ago, maybe it was two days ago. And I, I have regret now because I wish I had more. Mm. 
Um, I have one box of macaroni and cheese that's waiting for me as a treat. But it's waiting still. I've mostly just been eating beans out of a can like a hobo. (laughs) Heating them up or no? Sometimes. Hmm. As a treat. (laughs) As a treat. You can have a can of beans like a hobo as a treat. Yeah. And then I feed the can to a goat. There's a goat in your backyard who's like, I'm starved for cans. No, I just, like, growing up, we were just taught that goats eat cans. I remember that. It was, like, their preferred food. (laughs) I know. I don't know where that came from. I remember, I feel like when I worked at Farm Sanctuary and I was giving tours, part of my tour speech had to be to, like, clarify to people that goats did not eat tin cans and trash. (laughs) Every time I touch a can, I think about the goat that will inevitably be eating it someday. Well, that's also like when we were kids, I learned that you could open a top hat with a can opener, like a can, like the top of the top hat would come and like, and if you fell in water, for sure, a fish would come out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, these are all true, true truths. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, it's cool. You don't have to worry about recycling. You just throw everything in the backyard. A local goat comes, munches it up (laughs) as a treat. I wish there was a local goat so bad. (laughs) I hope you don't mind that we barely talked about music at all. Oh, no, that's totally fine with me. But it's wonderful to have you on. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say was I read slash heard somewhere that you came out while crying over an Oreo. True? Oh, yeah, I was right here in this kitchen. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't crying over the Oreo. I was just eating an Oreo. Oh, right, my. Right there. You were standing in that in your grandma's kitchen. You were eating an Oreo. Mm-hmm. Did you grab the Oreo before or after you decided to make this revelation? Yeah, uh, I was already eating it. And, you know, when, like, you eat an Oreo, the cookie part of it gets, like, stuck in the mo- in your molars and turns you into, like, a horrible-looking monster. Mm-hmm. And you- have you ever eaten and cried at the same time? Sometimes it's hard to do both. Yeah, well, sometimes you- it just happens, and it's so gross. Like, eating and crying at the same time is is one of the more disgusting things that I think like a human being can do. And it's, I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. Sometimes you gotta let the waterworks flow while you like masticate a, a cookie. But, uh, I was standing next to my father and I was just like, well, I gotta, I'm, I was like 20 years old. I was like, I, he definitely, you know, it's not a secret, but I just have to say it out loud. And I was already eating the cookie. And then I told him, and then he said, what do you want me to do? Be angry at you or something? And I was like, no. And he was like, go to bed. And that was it. (laughs) And, uh, how old were you? uh, Yeah. I was like 20. I was older, but like, I didn't, you know, you're you're probably close to my age too. I'm assuming. Sort of. Don Riddle. I'm Don. I'm Don age. age. You're Don age. Okay. So a smidge older. I, I don't know what your experience was like. I grew up very, very, very ashamed and very afraid of what I knew was uh, my absolute truth was that I was gay. But I decided after figuring it out around age 13 that I was just going to ignore it and never acknowledge it or participate in it in any way because that was the only way I could deal with it. Did, did and you I have, did that. Did you have a view for your life where you're like, I'll just stay alone. It's not a big deal. Yes. It was either like, I will be alone forever, which is fine. 
And then obviously a lot of things that come when your body is in the turmoil of puberty where I was like, I need to kill myself. Like, I can't be this way. This is not sustainable. Like, um, with all that being said, of course, that's not the way it actually pans out for a lot of, hopefully, the great majority of people. Um, and so as I, I grew older and went to college and met other people who were gay, I was like, okay, I'm not like this monstrosity. Like, there are other ways to um, to deal with this. But it, was, I, it wasn't until I started dating somebody that I actually found it uh, to be, like, necessary to start telling people. Um, which is a huge burden on young gay people. It's just such a pain in the ass. I'm glad that it's getting easier for them. But um, to like have to make an announcement, you have to make an announcement. Yeah. Like straight kids don't have to do that. They don't have to be like, no. hey, everyone, puberty's come. And I want you to tell, I want to tell you mom and dad that I'm sexually attracted to this yeah. kind of person. It's really, really awkward and really weird. Uh, I was afforded the wonderful luck of having two parents who obviously don't give a shit. Um, and my, my entire family just couldn't give a shit. And they all knew too, anyway. So, like, you know, but a lot of people don't have that kind of luck. And uh, uh, from, wh- from what I can tell as an outsider, being an older lady, it seems to be getting a lot easier for LGBT cute kids to just not have to go through all that rigmarole just to like sit down with every goddamn person in your life like you're having an intervention and tell them like who you find physically attractive it's like a nightmare so I because I grew up in Kansas in a religious household I didn't come out until I you know I had like the bisexual moment in high school where I came out in my zine and then I had to wait as an adult. Dude, that's so nineties. It was deeply. I mean, it was more nineties than you think because yeah. it was. I need to tell you, it was a photocopied photograph of a typewriter where I had whited out the 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 key the letters on the keys and written in like I like girls. <laughs> that's sweet. This is very nice. It was, it was like very twee. But I had to wait until, well, two things. One, when I was a young person, I, maybe I never told a coming out story on the podcast. When I was a young person, I would like had this feeling, but then I was like, I was like, well, I don't want to, I was like, I don't know. I would need to try it out to make sure that that's true. And I don't want to like rope some hapless lesbian into my experimentation <laughs> and then be wrong and then have just, you know, gotten them emotionally involved in this like science experiment And so I was kind of putting it off, putting it off. And I just waited until I was in Portland, Oregon. I was like, I didn't come out to my mom until I was probably 23 or 24. Maybe older. I don't remember. But I had already had like live-in girlfriends. And I had just, my mom for a long time was just like, oh, you seem really broken up that your roommate moved out. You know, like that kind of. I had that. (laughs) Where you're like. I I had a girlfriend I lived with for like five years whose parents, I think, saw our room and still just thought we were the best friends. The best of friends. <laughs> and just, like, me being like, I adopted a dog with my roommate, and then she moved out. And- yeah. <laughs> I'm just great friend. My mom just thought I was having an epic drought, like an epic oh. love desert, but I had all these, like, very meaningful roommates and, right. like, pals. Great roommates. <laughs> but I had to wait, and I think this is probably 
the experience of kids that even now that are living with religious parents or in small towns where I had to wait till I was an adult, but also could be a hundred percent financially independent. Like I needed to know that if I like had a dental crisis or my car broke down, that I wouldn't need my mom for anything. Cause I knew that one of the options was I was going to get cut the fuck off in a very serious way. And not that she was like bankrolling my life for real, but like every once in a while she'd be like, here's, you know, a hundred dollars. You can get a filling and I needed to be ready to have that go away. So I waited, waited for a long, long, long time. If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Okay, here's the real reason for this season. And this is something we both have strong opinions about. We might come to blows. I don't know. But the topic is napping. Oh, yeah. Now, producer Chris wants to know from us is how does one take a nap when they hate them but really need them? And I have really strong opinions about this, but you're the guest. You're the guest in the Sagittarian Matters social distancing studios. And so I want to ask your opinion about naps, how to take a nap, what to do if you can't take a nap, and if you're not good at it, and perfect nap times. Um, well, napping is different for everybody. I've been afforded with the great opportunity that have an occupation where I can pretty much take naps whenever I want. Not absolutely whenever, but quite often. Um, I also have an occupation where sometimes taking a nap is in my best interest because we often have to wake up very early and stay up very late. Will you move your little microphone-y thing just to make sure it's not touching your collar? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay, perfect. Okay. So I will actually take... Uh, I, I take my napping very seriously to make sure that I can perform to my best abilities at rock shows if I'm feeling a little bit tuckered, like before or after dinner, like, you know, around soundcheck time, I will like lay down and take like a 45 minute nap. And then I wake up feeling better than say if I like chugged an energy drink or like drank a coffee. That's just going to make me feel strung out and shitty and probably not perform to my best abilities. And I've discovered that through trial and error. It's different for everyone. The boys in my band hate taking naps when they wake up, they feel like shit. So they shouldn't take naps because it makes them feel like shit. They'd probably rather have like a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or whatever. And and they're way better at staying awake than I am. <laughs> um, so I used my, my napping ability in a very pragmatic manner so that I can hopefully perform to the best of my abilities in lieu of trying other things like coffee or energy drinks which just don't serve me well but they serve other people really well so does producer chris hates napping he is not good at it he said i find a lot of people think how does one take a nap when they hate them but really need them like do you if, if you don't feel sleepy you're not gonna get to be able to take a nap yeah that's something that's just out of your hands you have to be sleepy asleep. I am a sleepy lady, 24-7, would like to lay down. I love sleeping. It's the best feeling in the world. Um, so I don't need a lot of help 
when it comes to napping. Um, I can pretty much lay down at any point and then be unconscious within like 20 minutes. Can you nap anywhere? Absolutely. Same. Where's the weirdest places you've napped? One time I, um, Mike has a picture of me completely upside down in an armchair, dead asleep. I don't know how I got upside down. <laughs> um, I've fallen asleep behind bars, um, a, a concrete floor at an arcade. Um, one time, actually Jarrett from Screaming Females took a nap a, a legendary nap underneath this uh, a stage at a festival a festival we were playing uh, in LA. Uh, he fell asleep under the stage because it was the only shade he could find while seven seconds played on top of <laughs> him, I guess. Um, Mike likes to take naps on like really weird, what you might perceive as painful things. Like he likes to sleep on his shoe a lot. To, like take his shoe off and put it under his head as a pillow yes mm-hmm. um on our last tour he kept falling asleep using his like clean canteen like reusable water bottle as a neck pillow he loves sleeping on like really hard painful surfaces what a maniac <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> it's so funny to me um but for the most part my nap my nap position in the van is fetal position with some kind of soft thing, a backpack, or maybe if I'm lucky, a pillow, just kind of like hold it, just hold it like a little baby. And then I just smash my face right into it. Hmm. And that's it. I have a picture. So. Somebody took a picture of me sleeping on, I could see, yeah, I could sleep anywhere on the floor at a convention at a floor, wherever. Um, great. somebody once I was at a zine fest and I fell asleep under my table and you could kind of see my legs sticking out and somebody left a zine about narcolepsy on my table for me, which I thought was really nice. And I, I've taken the tests on, I looked on, I've dabbled in the tests online. Could you be a narcoleptic? And I was like, I have some, I, I could possibly be. I also just hate when people shit on those that love to nap. Like, you know, I think allotting yourself siesta time is okay. It, and it's something that people around the world yes. understand. Napping is actually the truest enem- enemy of capitalism. You can't, you can't make product if you're unconscious. No. They don't want us napping. They want us awake and working. I love, so I used to, before I understood that I needed naps every day, because I take a nap every day, I would just have a dip in the afternoon like a baby. Like a, How long is your nap? 20 minutes a day. Okay. Here's my strong opinion that I thought we might disagree, we, dis- we do disagree about, which is just, I have that kind of um, grid in my head of like the ideal nap time to avoid sleep inertia is 20 minutes. But if I can't do 20, I'll try to go for a full sleep cycle, which is an hour and a half. So it's either like, yeah. Yeah. How do you see? My problem is, is that it takes me typically 20 minutes to fall asleep. Oh, so I would set an alarm for 40 minutes Mm -hmm. to account for the time it takes for me to actually become a sleeping body. Well, that might be the same then. Well, so is it? 
Because I fall asleep almost immediately. And my way of falling asleep, if my brain is working, is... And I've said this on the podcast before, but I... I count down from 60, and so right now I visualize RuPaul behind the judging desk, in or out of drag, just counting down from 60. And I just do that over and over again until I'm asleep. And I can generally, because I've trained myself now, I will dream, I will drool, I'll go through like the whole thing. I'll be drooling is the best. That's how you know you did it, right? Then you know you've been 100% out. But then I wake up and I have sugar and caffeine to bring me back into the world, and then I'm back. Yeah, and I'm back, baby. I'm back, baby. Yeah, I'm fucking back. <laughs> I ever heard of the theory about like drinking a cup of coffee right before your nap? Okay, I've never tried that. I, I think I probably never will. I've done it once or twice, but I mostly kind of just it, it helps get me up from the nap to know that I get to go do a coffee ritual. Have a treat, yeah, a little treat. Have a, a little treat, yeah. But my tip: I, I find a lot of people stress out about whether or not they can fall asleep. And so to them, I say, even if your body is just resting for 20 minutes, that's 20 minutes more than you would have given yourself to just rest in the dark in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Sometimes laying down in silence is, is good for, it's good for your mind. It's good. It's all around. Mind, mind, body. It's all connected. I love taking a little nippy nap. Me too. It's my greatest vice. Do you have any other tips for nappers? Just don't let people yuck your yum. If if you're napping and someone's judging you for needing to have a little disco nap, then they're being very rude. Um, and if you don't like napping, you don't have to do it. Maybe there's some other way to put a little pep in your step. I'm drinking tea right now. This gets me all, all jazzed up. What is the best way people can support you while you, since your tour had to be cut short and your band was probably relying on that for some income for this year, how's, how can people best support you? Um, well, the easiest way to support us right now is if you could go to our merch store and you buy our merch. Um, we also, right after we got home, put up, actually... I think it's probably just on the main page of our website, which is a very, very bare website. So you should be able to find it easily where you can donate any amount of money that you wish. And then we will send you this um, like exclusive track that we made uh, while in isolation through the magic of computers. Um, uh, That song is being mixed right now. So it should be, uh, you know, available to send out to everyone who donated pretty soon. Um, And depending on how long this, you know, nightmare lasts, we might keep just making songs and sending sending them out to people who donate. But the easiest way to to support us is to just like kind of maybe buy a t-shirt or something. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we make our living playing shows. So it's, it's it's a spooky, scary time. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.